0: I'm going to put this out there because I've already told this story to the people who are in the show I think the best theatre I've ever seen is theatre that holds a mirror up to the audience and asks you to delve into
1: We've a hit How did this happen? This is amazing IMHO invites you to be the judge In this podcast we turn the microphone back on the leaders of the arts and entertainment industry and ask them to tell us what they really think These are their unflinching and unfiltered answers and their honest opinions. Hello and welcome to the IMHO podcast. I'm Belinda Seney and have I got a treat for you. She sings, she acts, she performs, she produces, she's wearing go-go boots and is fresh from the school run. It is a pleasure to welcome star of stage and screen, Naomi Price. <laughs> that is the best intro ever and so true. I feel like we need theme music now. <laughs> yeah, I think we do too.
0: We need a jingle. I'll record we do. it for you.
1: Okay, you do that. But You've got until the end of the podcast and we okay, can go. Okay, so. got it. Now, Nim, you moved to Brisbane. 2003, as a fresh-faced teenager from Brighton. Can you remember what your first theatre or performance experience was in Brisbane?
0: Yes, I can. I remember going to see a production of Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe pretty early on in 2003 and I remember being really impressed by, you know, the creativity of the project and the ambition of the project. It was just a, a community theatre group but i also remember being appalled by the accents <laughs> and i think that's that's a really um a really good kind of gauge for me in terms of how much i've assimilated now with australian culture when i first arrived anyone with a dodgy british accent that just caught my ear straight away whereas now i'm the odd one out when i go home everyone's like why have you got that fa- <laughs> that fake aussie accent get rid of it um so that that's quite interesting so yeah that was kind of my first impression of theater was like creative, ambitious, but not so much with the accents.
1: What's your most cringeworthy performance experience? Either something that you've seen, dodgy accents or not, or something that you've been involved in?
0: Oh, my God. Look, (laughs) I've seen so much shit over the years (laughs) that it is so hard to actually nut down what I think is the most cringeworthy. I... I. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot I could say here. I'm going to go. We gonna, want your
1: honest <laughs> opinions here, Nim.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm going to put this out there because I've already told this story to the people who are in the show, but I made the grave error several years ago of doing Sober October. Now, anyone who knows me knows if I'm at the theatre, I am not, I'm not standing in that foyer without a wine in my hand. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I unfortunately was on a fitness regime for an upcoming show and I decided I was going to do Sober October. So I'm there with a mineral water watching the opening night of a show where the lead actor kept Forgetting their lines. And there was actually a moment where he stopped. Well, he walked onto stage. He took a breath to say his line. He closed his mouth. He turned around and he walked straight off. And then the poor other actors in the play were scrambling, putting like pieces of furniture onto stage. And you could tell the lighting op was like flicking forward through cues, like, shit, shit, where are we? Okay, does the story still make sense without that bit that just wasn't said? Like, and you could just feel this sense of panic. It was. It was actually quite harrowing, but I think I would have been fine had I been drinking. Yeah. I think it was made more harrowing by the fact that I couldn't, I just felt
1: so trapped. So how do you then approach that from a performer's perspective? Do you just have that empathy there or you're like rather you than me?
0: Well, I kind of go into like performer and producer mode. I go, oh, my God, if I like if I was in the cast, what would I do? I'd be so stressed backstage. I wouldn't know what to do. But then I also go into producer mode and go, oh, my gosh, like these poor guys are going to have to come out at the end of the show and they're going to have to give a speech about how wonderful the show is and everyone should buy tickets but also just like feeling like they've got to go into crisis mode. Yeah. So my heart my heart goes out to people when, when shit happens on stage because you just think being a performer, you're putting yourself out there so much and it is an incredibly vulnerable experience and then to couple that with, you know, an actual disaster on stage is just... Yeah, I, I've had numerous nightmares about it over the years.
1: Well, you've had the nightmares, but have you had the experience? Perhaps not as I've as dried big as on that. stage. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. I've dried on stage. It's the worst feeling in the world. It's like, and I've also I've also understudied as well. And where you'll do like a year and a half run, and you only get to play the role that you understudy five times over that year. And of course, you do all your rehearsals, and of course, you hear the show every night, but you don't know when you're going to get that call up. And there's definitely times when I remember the first time I went on as Cynthia Wilde and Beautiful, and I got to the door because she doesn't come on until like scene eight. And I got to the door to open the door, and I was like, Oh my God, I don't know this. I don't know this show. I don't, this is not what I do in this show. I'm that other girl over there. I don't do this role. And I was like, It's just that horrible feeling of like, I'm going to make a fool of myself in front of 2,000 people. But then. I also think those experiences, like pushing through those experiences, help you exponentially as a performer. You just realise that there's actually nothing to be afraid of. It's not, I'm not operating on someone doing open heart surgery. No one's going to die at the end of my shitty performance. Like if I dry, it's okay. We'll live to see another day, Yeah. you know.
1: Now, you're one of the hardest working people in showbiz this year. You're you're everywhere. She's (laughs) had a big one. You've had a big one. How do you put a character to bed at the end of it, do you carry them with you or how how do you just sort of put that other character away and then go straight into the next one? Like it just must seem so unnatural to inhabit someone, as you said, like with Beautiful you were part of that cast for, Mm. what, 18 months or so, to have that world and then all of a sudden it's gone. Great question. I
0: think it just comes down to how much you attach yourself to that character. Mm. Some of the characters that I've played over the years, especially when it's um, an original character, production, so you're the first person to ever play that role. They're harder to let go of, I find, Mm -hmm. than a role that someone else has played before and you might be doing a new production of it, but you know, there's a history. Like I've done a lot of new work over the years. I find they're harder to let go of because they came from you. And yes, a writer wrote that role, but you breathed life into it for the first time. So I find they're harder to let go of.
1: So you started Little Red production company in... 2012 with mm-hmm. Adam Bruins. Yeah. What was the reasoning behind starting that?
0: Adam and I started the Little Red Company completely out of necessity. Mm-hmm. So we accidentally wrote a show called Rumour Has It, which started on my back deck over a couple of gins, a, a couple, probably many. And And I was just doing impressions of Adele's speaking voice. And Adam was like, how funny that she sings. Her voice when she sings is so different to how she speaks. And that was our jumping off point for writing that character. And I just got up and did a 15 minute version of it at an open mic night in this little dingy cabaret room in Albion. And then after that Brisbane Cabaret Festival, we're like, "Oh, that's funny! You should write the whole show, and we'll put it in the festival." We were like, "Okay," I was like, "Literally, this is a gag." Like, and, di- and
1: didn't you perform that with a pillow up your dress? Yeah, because yep. she was pregnant I put, at the time. Stuffed so. a pillow
0: down my down my dress,
1: so the wardrobe budget was uh, minimal. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, very minimal, um, and yeah, we. I, I look back at it now, and I'm like, "What was I doing? Like, I'd never done cabaret before in my life. At the time, I was touring with Shake and Stir, doing their in schools, touring productions, and doing Shakespeare every day. I don't know. I don't. I, I genuinely can't like put my finger on why it just happened. And then we got up, and we were like, "Well, they Brisbane Cabaret Festival want this show. I suppose we." better like have a company because then they'll take us seriously. And so we just registered a company name and and then like people were like, oh, so you're a company? And we were like, I yeah, guess so. <laughs> and then we just started doing more stuff because – People did take us seriously.
1: Something that a lot of arts organisations, particularly in Brisbane, are are struggling with at the moment is just simply getting bums on seats, selling tickets to shows and really engaging audiences. From, you know, you're in a very sort of unique position where you're on the stage and working in production as well. What do you think is behind this? Why are audiences not engaging? Why aren't people going in to buy tickets to shows?
0: I think that we do have an amazing culture of. Going here, I think where we come unstuck, and I, I'm this is the bigger we, the, the the industry we, is number one, not programming work that people actually care about or want to see, or it relates to them. When you look at a season of works from a major company, and only one of those posters features a woman, or only one of those posters features a person of color, none of those posters feature a person who is not able bodied. I don't know why I would go and see another cisgender, white, straight, male-driven piece of work, it doesn't interest me anymore or or maybe ever. So I think it's about programming work that people actually want to see that connects with who we are. I think the best theatre I've ever seen is a theatre that holds a mirror up to the audience and asks you to delve into who you are and what you think about the world and actually it actually demands you to take an, make an opinion or have an opinion on what you're watching on stage and actually wrestle with the ideas that are being put forward.
1: Is there anyone that you can think of, doesn't have to be Brisbane, nationally, even internationally, that's just got it right, that theatre companies should be modelling on? Who?
0: On a national level, you can, the person that I'm most excited about every time they announce they're doing anything is Daniel Evans and The Good Room. And they are Brisbane-based and they are a kick-ass group of of creatives who are making work for their audience. They the work
1: and with their audience as well. Yes, like they've had those incredible pieces where everything's been crowdsourced mm-hmm. and they take, you know, 800 submissions yeah. and turn it into an incredible theater piece with a great banner. Totally.
0: <laughs> but they but they are quite literally asking their audience to contribute to the show and when you come and see the show if you've submitted something you're going to see yourself on stage. And those stories then become incredibly diverse and, you you know, you're looking at stories of loss and love and grief and forgiveness and they put, you know, 25 kids on stage and got the kids to ask questions to adults that they'd always wanted to ask. That to me is exciting. That to me is is new and adventurous and ambitious and everything that I think theatre should be.
1: Yeah. Now, you've got your own production company and you've got some really great ideas about engaging audiences. So, Little Red, is that the launchpad for something bigger?
0: In seven years, it's been such growth. So, I have to expect that the next seven years will have even more growth. And whether that's with Little Red, which is an entirely independent and commercial venture, we're unfunded, we rely 100% on ticket sales, to keep going and we have no organizational funding or anything like that. It's completely, it's our own venture, whether it's through that or whether it's in leadership elsewhere in the arts industry, I'm completely open to it. But I certainly aspire to be an artistic director. It's something I'm I'm becoming increasingly more passionate about, especially when I do see the same stories being told over and over again on stage and I'm starting to have a lot of questions as to why that's happening. instead of just asking why and being that little mopey arts worker that just has a complaint all the time and is like, oh, no one's coming to the theatre anymore. (laughs) I want to make a change. I I want to make huge change in this in this industry. And I believe it's completely possible, but it's going to take time and it's going to take a whole bunch of extremely passionate people to make it happen.
1: It seems that there are a lot more women uh, in arts leadership roles, particularly as CEOs and executive directors, Mm. but we're still seeing so few shaping that landscape creatively as artistic directors. As you said, it needs to change, but how is it going to change? How can we see that change and perhaps not even just women but people from different backgrounds people from you know a different ethnic backgrounds as well Mm
0: -hmm. oh i mean (laughs) this is in my honest opinion but i if you look at the major arts organizations in australia there's 28 of them only four of them are led by women three of them are artistic directors and one is uh, an executive director in western australia Carolyn Chard. So four out of 28 are artistically led by women, but then you scroll down and usually the executive director is a woman. Now, my provocation to women is why, why are we continuing to realize men's vision? And it can't be about Boards and directors not trusting women in leadership because executive director is a kick-ass role Mm -hmm. and you have to be across everything in that company. You are making huge decisions all the time. But creatively, there seems to be something going on where... There's not the same trust. We're completely trustworthy when it comes to money and contracts and, and administrating and making this amazing man's creative dreams a reality, but why is there not the same confidence when you put a woman at the helm and you go, yeah, what do you want to say? Not how do we do it, what do you want to say? What have you got to say? And I do think that there's a reluctance still to give women a voice. I think there's a reluctance to give people of colour a voice. Uh, Anybody from a diverse background, queer voices. It's like there's queer festivals, but where are the queer voices in charge of our organisations? I know there are some, Mm. but... I mean, it just feels like there's still this tentativeness about it.
1: Okay. Well, fast forward seven years and you are In artistic my honest opinion, and, <laughs> and you are artistic director. Mm. What is the one production you would bring to Queensland and make everybody see?
0: Okay. The mo- recently a piece that I've seen that just reached into my chest, pulled out my heart and put it through a paper shredder was um, Downstate downstate by Bruce Norris in at the National Theatre in London, which I saw in April, which is basically set in the front room of a kind of halfway house. Um, four child sex offenders have been released from prison and they're all on parole for varying different crimes and that's what the play is about. Wow. And... Yes, it might be challenging and yes, it might not be like the gift that you buy your mum for Christmas, but you're going to go to it and you're going to have a drink at the bar afterwards and you're going to sit there with your friends that you've come with and you're going to unpack what you've just listened to and grapple with your own ethics and morals and opinions Mm -hmm. as opposed to that was nice, wasn't that a lovely evening, I wonder if Survivor's on tonight. Like just pedestrian theatre I've had it. It's so boring. I'm sick of seeing it. If, you, if there's no if there's no reason why you're programming or you're producing or you're creating something, just don't bother. Don't waste my time. I'd rather be ignited with something, with an opinion, with a thought, with passion, with conviction, than walk away from another piece of diluted rubbish, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would bring downstate here. 100%, I think it's incredible. It's um, a co-pro with Steppenwolf in Chicago yeah. and they're doing some amazing stuff in terms of incredible rigorous acting training that is completely evident in their work. But I was also thinking like a piece that I would love to see. Yeah. Ten years ago when Michael Gow was the AD of, of Queensland Theatre Company, he programmed Titus Andronicus and it was yes. an all-male company, nine male actors. And to this day, it's still one of my favourite things I've ever seen in Australia. It was... What was it about it? It was violent, bloody, unapologetic, simple. So I would bring back Titus Andronicus, but I would like to see that with an all-female cast because I am interested about what happens when you take those bloody crimes and you put them in the hands of women. I mean, obviously... Handmaid's Tale is a great example of this, or mm. Game of Thrones, or Wentworth. you know. Yeah, yep. exactly. Of of but what happens to violence when it's done by women. Mm. I think we're I think we're kind of done seeing violence acted on women. I'm kind of now more interested about how do we get down to the core of like the female rage and the female need for power and and that kind of thing. So I'd love to see an all-female Titus. <laughs>
1: Okay, Naomi, we are going to finish now with what we like to call five honest answers. Quick (gasps) fire round. We have got five questions here. First thing that comes into your mind and your time starts now. Who's the most overrated playwright? William Shakespeare. (laughs) Really? Why? Because who cares anymore? If I see
0: another production of Midsummer Night's Dream, I'm going to neck myself. (laughs) Like move on. We
1: get it. Move on.
0: She says after saying I would do Titus (laughs) (laughs) Andronicus.
1: What's the most bizarre thing you've ever seen on stage? Um, A boy
0: vomiting into a bathtub and then another boy getting into his vomit. Yeah, that is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Uh,
1: He also weed in the bathtub. Were you at that performance? I was
0: not at that performance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you had the power to ban one production from ever being performed again, what would it be? A Midsummer Night's Dream. Or
0: Cats. Nobody needs to see Cats again. We're done. We're done here.
1: What's the strangest fan or audience behaviour you've ever encountered?
0: Um, Last week in Ipswich um, I was about to come out on stage and my company manager said, oh, no, you can't go out there yet. Someone's put a, a strange object on the stage. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Anyway, she came backstage, she goes, it's okay, it was just a cheeseburger from McDonald's and a glass of red wine. Someone had actually given me a pre-show snack in case I got hungry midway through Lady Beetle, which I thought was amazing. Very thoughtful. I don't eat meat anymore, but I was <laughs> desperately grateful. I loved that it. that red
1: wine went down a treat. The, yeah. That's right, the red wine well received. And what's the work you wish more people had seen? That is so hard.
0: Oh, I know. There was the most amazing production of Moth that came up from the Malt House. Again, just one of those visceral experiences where I can still I've still got the taste. I can remember the taste I had in my mouth at the end of the show, and it just felt like a sucker punch to the chest and I was like, "Yes. This this is this is why I love theater, of the feeling it can evoke from you."
1: Naomi Price, thank you for your honest opinions. Thank you. Thanks for listening to IMHO. Make sure you subscribe and, in the spirit of the podcast, rate and review us wherever you listen to great podcasts. For honest opinions, ratings you can relate to, and the latest arts and entertainment news, check out inmyhonestopinion.com.au.